I've entitled this message on this Missions Sunday. I've entitled the message today from woe to go. Because go is the command. But woe is the easy, it's the more popular. Woe, 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 woe. And yet the command of Jesus is go. And so we read in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, go. Not woe, not wait, go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, the harvest is great. I'd like you to just let that settle for a moment in your thoughts, in your heart. I'd like you to hear that for just a moment. The harvest is great. And if it was great when the Lord spoke these words, how great is it today? The harvest is great. And I believe through these, the last two years of a global pandemic, I think it's more, the harvest is greater than it has ever been. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers, more, more workers into his fields. Now, why are the workers so few? Because there is more woe than there is go. There are more shirkers than there are workers. It's easier to delay than it is to obey. But something has to happen in our heart for us to truly embrace Jesus' last command and make it our first priority. What is that? What is that? There are many sincere believers, sincere Christians, but missions is just not on their radar. It's just not, you know, in their wheelhouse. And, and I was reading a report this week from our, some of our pastors here. They, they give a weekly report. And I think it was... A, Pastor Belinda's report, where this year alone, here at Imaginations Church in Sydney, I don't know how we've done this, God's done this, but we've added 383 new names to our church roles just this year, since January the 1st. Now, to me, that's just, what? Really? We haven't even hardly been in the building, and yet God is moving, as we just heard in the, in the song but here are 383 new names on our rolls, and I'm so glad people who have decided this is our church home, and, and this is where we're planted, and, and this is where our children are, are, are going to be sown into, and our youth. And yet, you know, when you come here and be a part with us at Imaginations Church, you begin really quick to understand that our focus is others, and that our our heart is to obey the Great Commission and to make Jesus' last command our first priority. So how does that heart, uh, I mean, you can come into the house, but how do you get the heart of the house? How does the culture of the house uh, begin to work in your heart? 
And so what I want to show you today, I guess, how to get a mission's heart, how to, how to embrace the last command of Jesus and truly make it your first priority, not just a slogan, not just, but something that really begins to take hold of you, that you wake up with a sense of purpose and destiny, that we are to make his last command our first priority, and that's what justifies our existence as a church, and not just, oh, we, we do missions, so what is the process? What is the progress that produces in me a missions mandate or a missions mindset? Because there's a process. Some, there's, a, there's a progression. There is a journey that we take to come to that place. And I want to show this to you today as the Lord just dropped this whole message into my heart. In two hours while I was cycling down the northern road this week, and I just, uh, I couldn't believe these thoughts that just began to drop in my spirit. And the Lord began to show me these things that I want to show you today. The process about mission's heart. What happens in your heart? And so we begin in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. Now, Chapter 6 in Isaiah is like the shortest chapter in the whole book. But when you get to verse 8, something astounding happens in verse 8. And Isaiah says this, I heard the voice of the master. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I spoke up. I'll go. Send me. Now, wait a minute. How, how did that? Because when you, when you start with verse 1, listen, the Isaiah in verse 1 is not the same Isaiah that's in verse 8. Something has happened. There's a process has taken place. He's literally gone from woe to go. And I, I'm asking the question, how did he do that? How did he get there? How did he come to a place where he hears God say, who will go? And he doesn't even ask where. Or when? Or for how long? Or how much is this going to cut? None of that. He just says, I'll go. So something dramatic, something life-altering happens to this man over these eight verses. I mean, my goodness, Isaiah, God wasn't even talking to him when he said, who, who will go for us? He was just... He, he was just, here. he was overhearing God say, who will go? And he puts his hand up and he says, I will go. He went from woe to go. Something happened in his heart. What? What happened to him? And I want to show you the progression that turned him into one who was willing to go. Actually, anywhere. At any time, at any place, no matter what the cost. That is how dramatically this man's heart was changed from whoa, 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 wait, 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 no, 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 to I'll go. I'll go. And so let's start and let's look at the progression and the process that changed him and gave him a mission's heart, a going heart. So in verse one, we read. In the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah was a good king, but he died. In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the year of uncertainty, in the year of ambiguity, in the year of insecurity and instability, the king is dead. In that year, I saw the Lord. While the world was wonky and wobbly and woozy, Isaiah had a vision of God on a throne. God was on the throne. In the earth, it was like the throne was vacated. In the earth, there was just uncertainty. The king was dead. The government was in disarray, but God was on his throne. Now, I think right there, we could just stop and go, yeah, okay, I think I'm hearing what you're saying because I think our world's a little bit like that right now. Yes, and the king is on his throne. God is on his throne. And Isaiah had a vision of that. He sees that in the midst of disarray. Verse 2. Angel seraphs. These unbelievable creatures. These angelic. The angels above angels. Angels. The angel seraphs hovered above him on his throne there. Each with six wings. And with two wings, they covered their faces. They couldn't, even the angels had to cover their faces while the king is there in his, in his greatness. With two wings, they cover their faces. And with two, their feet. You remember when Moses stood before God at the burning bush, he said, take your shoes off because this is holy ground. And so here are these glorious angels covering their faces and covering their feet. And with two wings, they flew. And they called back and forth to one another. Holy, holy, holy is God of the angel armies. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Listen to this. His bright glory fills the whole earth. This is what Isaiah saw. He saw God's glory. His glory. You know, in Exodus 33, Moses asked if he could see God's glory. And God literally took Moses and hit him, almost squeezed him into the cleft of a rock. And God said this, and I will cause my goodness to pass before you. What Moses called God's glory, God called his goodness. His goodness. I will make my goodness pass. And so he hides Moses in the cleft of the rock so he doesn't disintegrate, you know, in the presence of Almighty God, the glory, the good, as his goodness passes before him. Because Moses could not look at God and live. You cannot look at God and have all of your molecules stay in place. I'm telling you, family, the sun in all of its brightness, is a pinprick compared to the glare of the glory and the goodness of God. And I believe this is where a heart for missions begins. It begins with a vision of God's greatness, of God's goodness, and God's glory. This is where the process starts. This is where the progression 
begins. So here's the progression. Isaiah saw God's glory. And then all of a sudden, in one moment, it was like, oops, because he now saw his guilt. It's like, it's like the Roadrunner cartoons, you know, the wily e. coyotes chasing the uh, the roadrunner and on the high cliffs and the roadrunner makes the turn and the coyote misses the turn and he's suspended there in air. This is, this is where Isaiah is in this moment. He's like the coyote. He's like wily coyote. And he looks around and hears the glory of God and hears angel seraphims with, with their wings over their faces. He looks at this unbelievable, all the glory. And all of a sudden he looks down and he sees his guilt and he goes, Oh no. Oh no. Let me read verse five. He said, from the glory to his guilt, he says, it's all over. I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Oh no, oh no, I'm doomed. The King James says, woe is me, for I am undone. The message says, doom, it's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. I mean, could there ever be a greater contrast of two extremes? For Isaiah to see the glory of God, and then in the very same moment to see the guilt of his mouth, and the guilt of his heart, and the guilt of his life. He said, I'm a dead man. To look up and see God full of glory. And then to look down and see himself full of guilt. Sinful. He's undone. He's doomed. He's a dead man. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal. He had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Follow the process. The glory Guilt to grace. To grace. In one moment, God does for Isaiah what he could never, ever, ever, ever do for himself, and that's make himself worthy to stand in the presence of the glory and the greatness and the goodness of God. Grace takes care of all his guilt. In one moment, in one moment, he goes from guilt to grace and is now worthy to stand in the presence of God's glory where even angels hide their face and cover their feet. Only grace could do that. We read in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24, God in his grace freely makes us 
right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Come on, we were just as undone and doomed and dead and damned as Isaiah was. What happens when God's grace meets my guilt? What happens when God's grace encounters your guilt? Well, we become guiltless and graceful. All of the sudden, in a moment, in an instant, he did not lift a finger. There was nothing for him to do except be declared right in God's sight. And God looking at him now, I'm, I'm doomed, I'm damned, I'm, I'm dying, this is my, it's, it's over for me. And God looks at him and he says, you're right, mate. In one moment, God makes him right. Now, what happens? What, what happens? What happens when I've had this revelation of God's glory and this guilt and all of a sudden grace comes upon me? What happens to the heart? When grace, when we experience grace, because what happens next is what makes Isaiah say, I'll go. Watch this. I'm reading from Colossians 1 and verse 12. Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude. Gratitude. When you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. What happens to the heart that has been through the glory and the guilt and the grace? I'll tell you what happens. Grace causes us to live with gratitude. Gratitude, gratitude, this is what grace produces in our life. Some people are afraid to teach grace because they think somebody's gonna say, oh, well, grace, now I have a freedom or a license to sin. Are you out of your mind? Grace, the opposite, grace causes me, grace causes me to, to move into a place of unthinkable gratitude, to live holy, holy, holy before God because his grace has taken my guilt and made me worthy of his glory. Come on, somebody. This is where Isaiah was when he heard God say, who will go? This is where he was. He was in this place of grace filled with gratitude. He had gone from a vision of the glory of God to the guilt of his own heart, to the grace that rescued his very life, to gratitude that was beyond words. And he overhears God say, who will go? And he says, I'll go. I'll go. Send me. Where? When? How long? How much is this going to cost? None of that mattered. None of that mattered. If you have a true vision of how good and how great and how glorious God is. And if you have a true sense of how lost and how desperate and how wicked your own heart is, 
And if you have a true encounter with grace that is greater than all of your sin and the gift of righteousness that it brings to you, then you will live eternally, entirely, and humbly grateful. And this is where a mission's heart is made. This was the progression that brought Isaiah from woe to go. And it's the same for us today. Here we are today. From glory to guilt to grace to gratitude. And now we stand before the great commission. We stand before the great commission the last command of Jesus. We stand before today the Great Commission. But what brings us here today is glory, guilt, grace, and gratitude. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And now as a church, and now as a family, and now as an individual, I stand before the Great Commission, and my hand is up for going and giving, going and giving. This is the New Testament principle of fulfilling the Great Commission, going and giving. Now I go, now I give. And you see, this was the exact pattern we have in the New Testament. We look at the church up there in Macedonia, the church of Philippi, the Philippian church that was birthed out of a prison experience in the jailer, in the Philippian jailer's home. In that home, that Philippian jailer who somehow kind of in that one night earthquake went from the glory to the guilt, to the grace, to the gratitude. And this church is birthed now in Philippi. And the church in Philippi supported and supplied and sustained the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. They were goers and givers. And they were goers and then they were givers to those who were going. And Paul was going and they loved him and they invested in him and they supported him. And they go and they, they would go and they would give out of gratitude. Where does a mission's heart come from? Why would I go? Why would I give? Why would I make a faith promise? Why would we as a church give half of our income to missions? We go and we give from a place of gratitude. We go and we give because the grace of God has come to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We go and we give because our guilt is gone and our sin has been washed away. We go and we give because the glory and the goodness of God says to us that he is willing that none should perish and that all would come to eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. How do we get a mission's heart? And for 383 new family that have joined with us here at Imaginations, how do we get a mission's heart individually as we join our heart to a mission's church? What's the process? 
What's the process? How do we go from woe to go? His glory, my guilt. His grace, my gratitude. And then I stand in front of the great commission and now I go and I give. One more thought in the process. And that is understanding the gravity of not going and not giving. So much is at stake. You see, no one gets saved without the gospel. The gospel. This is what we bring. This is what we preach. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, it says the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation to anyone who believes it. But no one's ever going to get saved without the gospel. That's what missions is all about. Before the gospel can deliver you, it must first be delivered to you. And if for some reason it's not delivered to you, how can it save you? And that's what the Great Commission is. That's what my going and my giving is all about. It's about getting the gospel to everyone, everywhere. And there was a gravity, not just a glory and a guilt and a grace and a gratitude and a going and a giving, but there's a gravity here, a gravity in missions. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 16. He said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and he lived each day in luxury. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for the scraps on the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open wounds. And then Jesus continues the story and tells us that they both die. The rich man and the poor man. The rich man and Lazarus. Jesus talks about Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham and the rich man goes to the realm of the dead, Hades. And the conversation happens between there. But the last part of the conversation is this rich man saying these words. He says, I beg you. I beg you. I pray. I plead. I beg you, Father. Send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, I have five brothers that he may testify. The Greek word here is witness. Send him, I beg you, I pray, I plead. Send him, send him, that he may witness and testify to my family. You know, when I read these words from the place of the dead, Hades, some translations say hell, I am deeply moved at the gravity of what we have been commanded to do. We must deliver the gospel to everyone, everywhere. Mark 16, 15 is how I opened my message today. And I finish it with the Living Bible translation. Jesus says, you are to go. Not wait, not woe, not stop, not back. You are to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. 
How do we get from woe to go? We look up and we see his glory. We look inward and we see our guilt and then his grace and then our gratitude. We look outward and we see the great commission and we go and we give. And then we look downward and we see the gravity of what we are commanded to do. I pray this Mission Sunday that your response to the Great Commission would be Isaiah's response. I'll go. I'll give. Here am I. I'm right here, Lord. Send me. Spin me. Use me. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, please don't let our love for the world or things trick us, deceive us, and seduce us for why we are really here on this planet, why we are really here, born again, guilt-free, graceful. Lord, we are here to make your last command our first priority. And I pray in Jesus' name that each one of us would examine where we are. Where is our heart today in the progress, in the process of becoming a totally committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and making your last command our first priority? I pray someone, maybe right now, would step into that place, go online right now and give to missions like, like before the hour ends. And others, Lord, I pray they would move in their progression. Maybe some have yet to have a vision of who and what and how great and how good you are. But Lord, I just pray, move us, move us, keep moving us in this process until all have heard. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.